It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, as always, joined by your host, James Rapine. Today, we're also joined by special guest, Joe Goodberry, part of a loaded roster this week, Joe, with Brian Callahan, Mike Santagata, and yourself, as we continue to gear up for the 2022 NFL Draft. And we're going to get into some debates at Pick 31 today. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network here on Lockdown Bengals, your team every day free and available everywhere you get your podcast and on youtube so hit the follow button hit the subscribe button so we're delivered to your eyes and ears first thing when we drop the podcast thanks for making us your first listen really appreciate that and if you're listening on your way to work we're going to talk about a dilemma at pick 31 james i was recently going through a mock draft simulator and last week we even talked about this yeah. we talked about George Karloftis and Tyler Linderbaum. If they're both sitting there at 31, staring you in the face, what makes that pick? And it really is difficult, Joe Goodberry, because from what we do every year, which is weighing historical, you know, height, weight, athleticism, length thresholds, historical productivity thresholds, positional value. Tyler Linderbaum didn't test. He is a first percentile size center and edge rusher is a more valuable position than center. On the other hand, protect Joe Burrow. Very, very good center prospect. One of the best center prospects on tape in quite some time, but there's some blemishes. So say, say he tested, right? And he tested like a good athlete, like he is on tape. He didn't, but just pretend for a moment that he did. How do you go about making this pick, Joe? Yeah, I think it's a great scenario to be in. It's one I would rather be in than what the inverse would be, right, of not having any of your top 25 or so players on the board. When you're at pick 31, you want to see value at that spot. So um, having two guys that are probably going to be in like the 15 range, I I think for the way we grade these players, um, that is ideal. So I'm with you on on that part, though, where you talk about not testing and how scary that's been. And it's been scary for the Bengals, especially, I think. When I I went through and looked at a bunch of teams, like eight or so teams, how often do they draft guys who don't test? How often does it work out successfully for the Bengals? Never for them. But, like, the Steelers have had good success. The Ravens don't really have much success. And they're a good drafting team overall. So when they draft these guys who don't test, it's scary for them as well. Then you got teams like the Bills who haven't drafted one since 2009. You've got teams like the Falcons who have drafted one since 2011. Like some teams just avoid it completely. And that's why a guy like Tyler Linderbaum could fall because teams are like, I didn't test. I'm not taking him in the first round. In fact, actually the way he grades out for us, after you leave the blank for the testing, it comes out as you should probably take him uh, between 30 and 40. And that makes sense, you know, uh, for, for the risk it, it, it 
carries with it. And why is it so important? I think we should probably say that too. I went through and looked at the history of the last 20 years of guys that test like elite athletes, eight plus relative athletic score, 80th percentile and plus athletes. You get in the first round, you got about a 46% chance to draft a pro bowler. If you draft a guy who does not test, you have about a 27% chance to draft a pro bowler. Uh, so, you, you know, you want to take the, the elite athlete and roll the flip the coin there, right? Whereas it's one quarter of a chance to get the guy who doesn't test at all. And that, and even when we brought up that list, Jake, you and I talked about it. Um, the guys who still ended up coming out of that group, out of the non-testers that became pro bowlers, were guys we saw on tape were like, these guys are elite athletes. Like you can see it on tape. And I would put Linderbaum in that. So that kind of balances that, you know, that risk there a little bit of, okay, um, there's there's the inherent risk of drafting a non-tester. But then at the same time, I think he would have been a great athlete. And I think most people would lean on Linderbaum. I think the surprise one is talking about George Karlaftis out of Purdue, the edge guy that I think can kick inside and actually be a better pro inside. Uh, when he was 18 years old, uh, freshman at Purdue, he had 17 and a half tackles for a loss, seven and a half sacks. Production at that age, we talked about this a lot last year with Jamar Chase. If you can do that at 18, at 19, even at 20, but it's even more impressive at those early ages, that is fantastic. And it's a great indicator for your future profile as you grow. Now, he didn't do all of his tests either. The agility stuff is missing, or at least the three cone is, which is a great indicator as well for edge rushers. So he's a 90-something percentile athlete. He comes off as a very highly productive um Young just turned 21 years old or yeah, he did the test when he was 20. So last tape is 20 years old. He's 21. I think that's the scary part for people when you start talking about position, because do you take a defensive end? Everyone feels good about the Bengals, two starters. We feel good. Duke Tobin even talked with uh, Dave Lapham recently about how they expect Joseph Asai to be such a big player for them this year. But edge player, you can never have enough pass rushers and, it's tough for me, but that, that's the thought process, the long thought process in my head between the two of them. Good position to be in, but hard. Yeah, Joe, when you talk about the film aspect of it, because our listeners have heard about Tyler Linderbaum since probably November. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember getting tweets, oh, just draft Linderbaum when they were scheduled to, to potentially pick like 15th, and then they go on that late season run all the way to the Super Bowl. And it's like Tyler Linderbaum can solve some of their issues and then the arm length comes in, and then the foot injury from the Citrus Bowl. But when you look at the film, how would you stack and compare these two players? Is is one does one pop more than the other? I get the the concerns and the thresholds and everything like that. But from a, mm -hmm. a film standpoint, who would have the higher grade if you had to to give one or give one the edge based on what you watched? Well, I did give a grade for each one of them on film. And I'm glad you asked because as much of the data I talk about, I did start my process and I always do with the film. And for me, I gave uh, Tyler Linderbaum an 88 out of 100, George Karlaftis an 85 out of 100. So uh, I like Linderbaum more on tape. I just think it, it's an easy evaluation, very easy because the strengths and weaknesses are, are definitively clear. And when, when you watch him, he's a zone blocking center. So any power man gap teams probably aren't interested at all. The Bengals would probably love this guy. He'd be a perfect fit for them in, in their zone run blocking offense. Um, he is extremely athletic, gets those reach blocks, turns guys inside and out all the time when he's got to reach and get that three tech or the guy that's shaded away from him. Uh, perfect hand usage, very strong hands, strong core. So you see him a lot of times get his hands in the perfect spot after he bursts out of his stance, flips his hips, turns his core, and, and gets that guy locked out and running backs running right behind him. Or he's extremely good climbing to the second level and getting that linebacker. If I watched six games, I don't think he missed a guy one time. I mean, it was like we go from guys who can't get to the second level a few years ago to 
this would be one of the top five guys in the NFL getting to the second level. And Joe Mixon would love cutting off of, let's say, Kappa and him blowing out the, the D-tackle on that side. Linderbaum cutting up and get to that linebacker and Mixon cutting up that hole and just, man, that's you're free for eight yards. And he's at a full head of steam at 230-something pounds. Oh, man, Mixon would be great behind Linderbaum. So tape-wise, uh, what are the weaknesses? The length doesn't show up too much. It's more of he's not a big dude, you know, 295 pounds. He, I would even surmise sometimes he played less than that uh, because there is an initial jolt and power if big guys get on him. They'll push him back. Now he does regroup, regroup, um, reset, and anchor very, very well. So it's initial push near the quarterback, and then he just sits and stops, and he's really strong with anchoring. So uh, there, some quarterbacks don't like that initial push right into your face. And it's not directly in their face, but he recovers very, very well. Uh, as or guys where you know just end up on skates completely and end up into the quarterback. Karlaftis, on the other hand, uh, I think he is a power rusher. So normally you want these freak bendy, explosive off the edge edge rushers in the first round. Very rarely do you get these guys that are, especially at 20 years old on tape, that are that powerful in this hand strike. Uh, and he doesn't have real long arms, 32 and some change. Uh, he gets into these guys and he moves and displaces people very, very well. Um, and he, I think he'd get up to 285 and even maybe plus. And that's why I think he can kick inside because he's so young. He's not, you know, I think his body's got room to grow and add more power to him. And I think when, when he does kick inside, the little bit of agility concern I have would be a race inside where he'd be a better athlete than the interior guards that, you know, aren't as good as the tackles, right? They're not as fluid as those guys. That's the nature of the position, the difference between those two. Uh, but I think he wins with power hand placement. I wish he had more of a counter move because there are times I feel like he gets a little cute with his pass rushes and tries to be a finesse guy when you're not, you know, and then you got to mix it up or else they're just going to sit on your power all the time. So maybe that's it. And he still needs to develop those other moves, uh, but just okay. Versus the run overall, uh, it doesn't sound like a very glowing report, but I just think what he does is very good for, for how young he was. He's young. He's productive. He tested well, to your point, ends up with a 9.2 overall RAS with elite lower body uh, explosion, elite mm-hmm. vertical, elite broad jump stuff. But uh, I guess my last note on, on Linderbaum is going to be, well, he he wrestled Tristan Wirfs. Tristan Wirfs has 34-inch arms, and he beat his ass. I mean, he probably gave up some weight and length to Tristan Wirfs, and, well, he won. So maybe that doesn't matter so much, and it doesn't show up very often on tape. But but last question, Joe. You're on the spot. You have to pick one of these two guys. They're your clear BPAs. Which do you pick as of Car- today? Carl Aftis is a safer, safer prospect in terms of his profile. Normally, when they look like that and they check every single box, you're at least going to get a good player to solid player, at least. I think he's got Pro Bowl potential. His profile is what you would put next to a Pro Bowl. Um, for Linderbaum, Tape and what you would have expected him to test like, you would also say Pro Bowl, even with the length concerns. But it does mean he's going to be an outlier, not just for a guy who doesn't test, but because of the length. I think when I watch him, though, he's Jason Kelsey of the of the Eagles. And I think if you can get that, that's definitely worth it. We're talking about a 10-year guy who's one of the top five centers in the league. And that's where I would place his upside. So I'm going to go with Linderbaum because I think the offense and how well the offense works and having five good offensive linemen is more valuable than adding another pass rusher, which I definitely think is valuable and worthy of that pick completely. It's just that I think you would complete. I mean, the offense at that point, you roll 11 guys out there, they're ready to go. That's a, this is a formidable offense. 
up next, we'll continue the conversation about the 31st pick. What if Linderbaum's gone? What if Karloftis is gone? We'll talk about Travis Jones, who a lot of you guys like. We'll discuss him next. But first, a word from Bet Online, your one-stop shop for all things betting, from player prop bets to the latest scores, news, and notes. Bet Online is where you should go to wager on the NBA playoffs, on Major League Baseball, on the 2022 NFL draft and so much more. Maybe you want to get in on Joe Burrow's MVP odds before they add another glass eater with Tyler Linderbaum in the draft. You can do all of that and so much more at bet online. So check them out right now at BetOnline.net. head to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action in one spot bet online where the game starts. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Speaking of the draft, James and Joe, the Locked On Podcast Network does have a live show planned this year. For the first time, I believe, in the history of our network, we will have Locked On NFL Draft doing a live draft show. So stay tuned for details about that as we get closer to the draft. It'll be running with three days of real-time analysis. So that's exciting. That'll be coming up in the future. But James, again, yesterday on Mock Draft Monday, we picked a safety. And mm. I'm just going to on-air correct myself. I confused Jaquan Brisker with I don't know who. He is just like Jalen Petre or Dax Hill, a guy that profiles to be a good, strong safety who can cover in the slot as well. He might have the athleticism to play deep, but he hasn't done it very much. He hardly played deep in college. So my mistake yesterday, I've, I've let myself get confused on the safety class. I think there's true three Truly, three real free safeties in this class, and Jaquan Brisker, not one of them. That being said, we mentioned yesterday, and Joe, you mentioned, I think before we started recording, well, what about just taking Travis Jones? If if the guys you really want, the Kyer Elams, the Andrew Booths, the Tyler Linderbombs, George Karlaftis, whoever it is, and, and maybe you don't want Andrew Booth or one of those guys, whatever. If all those guys are gone, and the next best guy is is Travis Jones, Joe, we got into it a little bit before we started recording because I look at Travis Jones and I see that he tested like a great athlete and he had a good senior bowl where he was unblockable. But is his upside really that much higher than DJ Reader, who is a great player to be sure, but DJ Reader was not a first-round pick. And it's to, to draft a guy at his weight profile in the first round, it's like Vita Vea and uh, – who Don Terry Poe, like this kind of Kenny Clark athlete that's massive. Kenny Clark. Is he going to be one of those guys who is that impactful to justify the 31st overall pick? Or is he a good tester who like, he doesn't look that athletic on tape to me. He doesn't look that bursty on tape to me. He does have some pass rush to his game for sure. I'm not saying he's a bad player, but is he impactful enough in your opinion to justify picking a guy who might be a very good nose tackle at 31. You know, it's hard because it's a lot of projection. Anytime you got a guy coming out of UConn, um, you're not going to have that many games for, you know, where you can watch him go against an SEC offensive line to really see him go against guys that are top end athletes, 
top end power guys um, because he's bigger and more athletic than probably anybody he faced all year long. So a guy like that should probably dominate um, in and out of every single play. The game that I would sell on is his upside is the Clemson game. It was his best game of the ones I've watched. Uh, it's really the only one with, with real good competition, only one worth watching. But the Clemson game, man, he was good in the run. He was good in the pass. He used his length consistently. Um, like just bowling over guys at ease, like guards getting on him. And he's just pushing them away and, and wrapping up the defensive end or the uh, the, the running back. Uh, just being a menace the entire time. Quick swim moves, the ball's out. I mean, he's beating the guard. The guard's falling on the ground, ball's out. So there's like nothing he can do about it. He's playing to UConn. It's not like he's got great guys around him either. So he's getting a lot of attention. This isn't like Georgia, right, where we're watching the guys from Georgia and we're like, yeah, there's good guys all over this place. So like, who are you? Who do you want to block on this play and just leave Devontae Wyatt on his own or Jordan Davis or guys not even in this draft? I'm forgetting his name, who's probably the best defense tackle of that trio. Uh, But the point is, when you're watching Travis Jones, you say, okay, it's a bit of a projection here because he's doing so much on his own. And man, when you get a guy that tests like that at that size, and he had good production, we're not talking like if you want me to choose between Devontae Wyatt and Travis Jones, I'm taking Travis Jones. And it's because he's got a cleaner profile. Like we talked about in segment one, guys like this, if he turns into a Kenny Clark and that means he's a nose tackle, is that a bad thing? Look at the defensive tackle breakdown for the Bengals. And let's say we've got reader for two more years. And, even with that, Josh Tupou played 400 snaps. You could play him at five-tech. I think Travis Jones would be a good five-tech in their three-man fronts, five-man fronts. And he would add athleticism. Now you put him and B.J. Hill on the inside and nickel. He's your most athletic defensive tackle by far. Uh, D.J. Reader didn't have this type of athleticism, right? Uh, he was a 60th percentile athlete, goes in the fourth round, I want to say. Guys like that that played nose tackle in college aren't going to be the most productive. Travis Jones was a B-gap player. He grades very high for PFF in terms of true pass rush, uh, pass set opportunities, a 90-plus. He had 11.5, I want to say, pass rush win rate, which is above average. He had above average run stop rate. I mean, all the metrics line up and say there's no reason why you shouldn't take this guy. As far as profile, and you mentioned it a little bit, but when you were talking about Tyler Linderbaum last segment, when you were talking about George Karloftis, it seemed like, yeah, Linderbaum, he might have to be an exception and, and, and break the mold a little bit because of his arms or different things, an outlier, like you mentioned. But both guys, realistic to think that they could end up being pro bowlers. When you look at Travis Jones, what's the worst case scenario? Is it the same, but like a Carl Loftus, where he's going to end up being a good player and <laughs> where he's, he's still productive? Because at 31, it, I almost would rather try to hit a double, and maybe it's a home run, rather than swing for the fences and end up striking out and just getting a guy that isn't going to work. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense too, right? They, in fact, they probably can't afford to miss in the future years in the draft. This is probably more a philosophical thing. If you want to keep your core players, whether that's three, four five guys that you don't plan on losing at all under any circumstances, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, maybe that stretches into Jonah Williams and, you know, maybe somebody on defense that they've drafted recently. Maybe that's Jesse Bates or, or whomever. Um, if you're like, I'm keeping these guys and the rest of the roster has to kind of be cheap, you kind of can't miss on your draft picks at all because it's going to set you back. You'll still have a good core. Your team will probably still be in fighting for every game and, and every season. But you need to hit on these draft picks to replace these guys that are probably making money the next two years 
and you're not going to keep them. That We talked about last time I was on last week, that could be a replacement for Tyler Boyd by getting a tight end that can go over the middle. It could be a slot guy. It could be getting a guy that replaces DJ Reader in two years. It could be getting corners that replace Shadobia Wuzia and Mike Hilton in two years. Uh, like You just keep that, that cycle churning, and if you hit on your picks, you're probably not missing anything, and that money instead goes to your core players. So worst-case scenario to answer your question is maybe he's DJ Reader, who's not a Pro Bowl guy and the worst part about it is he's a nose tackle so what's the value of nose tackle uh do you pay those guys a lot of money do you put all these resources in it do you even draft a nose tackle in the first round and then again it's a projection because he played more of like a three tech five tech for the for uh yukon so it's a projection to put him inside and put him head up on center so there's a little bit of inherent risk with that so if worst case scenario is he's a good nose tackle a kenny clark type guy is that worthy? Is that impactful? If you're just trying to hit a double, it's worth it. And, and then my question would be, would you instead consider a guy like Logan Hall there, who is a similar mm-hmm. profile in many ways, but is more traditional three tech in, in terms of build and in terms of play style and in terms of productivity, where he was productive. And you can go down the list too, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about Travis Jones in the first round. How much worse off are you? If you if you do take a Perry and Winfrey like we did in the second round, you know, or or even uh, you know you wait a few rounds, Matthew Butler, I think a different tier of prospect, but you get later in the draft, you know what what's the difference there? And and that's where it gets challenging because Travis Jones is a good prospect, right? But mm-hmm. I mean, you don't even have him graded really as a first round prospect from a mm-hmm. film perspective, as far as I can tell. Right, I have a seventy nine, which would be. Again, 40th in that range, if you're picking, you know, top of round two, go ahead and draft Travis Jones if you want to. But where Bengals are at at 31, we're talking about a scenario where it's worst case. None of your top 25-ish guys are there. He's in the bucket of that next tier then. So it just mm-hmm. becomes a, a conversation. You bring up Logan Hall. I really like Logan Hall a lot. But he's six foot six, right? Uh, if you're going to make him a three-tech, man, that's scary because you don't see those guys succeed. He is, in my opinion, like a five-tech end and a 3-4 defense that's going to kick inside and play nickel and that's fine because we've discussed how much the Bengals could actually use that type of guy I mean that sounds exactly that's what they used yeah that's exactly what they are yeah so it makes a lot of sense he would actually be a huge upgrade over Josh Tupel right in that scenario where he's playing those 500 or so snaps that BJ Hill played last year he's inside next to BJ Hill same way I described for Travis Jones you would do that with Hall and I think actually Hall looks like he's going to be like a very good interior pass rusher, yeah. like like the guy that's you know could be extremely dominant. But again, we talk about look when I watch Travis Jones, he gets a little too high at times. It saps away some of that athleticism. When you get a guy at six six, man, they lose all leverage. And and he plays high. Like it's not just he that he's six six, but he he tries to swim over guys. But Logan Hall could be an in depth conversation for another day, Joe. As we've discussed these first round options, getting out of the first round into day two, maybe early day three. We've we talked about tight ends of, as we've gone through mock draft Mondays in the last few weeks, and you've recently watched a bunch. So let's dive into this tight end class to wrap things up coming up next. There's nothing worse than having unreliable transportation. When you get in your car, you want to start it. You want it to get you from point A to point B. You want it to be reliable, like Joe Goodberry during draft season. And that's why you need rockauto.com. Today's show brought to you by Rock Auto a family business that's been doing business for more than two decades. What's Rock Auto? Well, it's a website that's going to get you the car parts that you need for your truck, for your Daewoo, for your Mercedes-Benz, Jake Lisko, for less. Don't pay 30 50 even 100% more 
for car parts that you're going to get from rockauto.com for less. And the best part is it's really convenient. So you save time, you save money, and you can shop from the comfort of your own home while you're listening to Locked On Bengals or watching on YouTube. So check them out right now at rockauto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck and be sure to write Locked On in there. How did you hear about us, Buck, so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Right end talk, baby. Let's get into this group because there's no, there's no Kyle Pitts. There's no Tyler Eifert this year. There's nobody that's like, ooh, yeah, 31. Maybe, maybe oh, there's yeah. a tight end. This year you look at it and. Oh, yeah. What was that? Why'd you say your sec? Why'd you use your sexy voice? He loves tight ends. Because, yeah. I mean, we're talking about tight ends here, James. What, right, what, right. When else are you going to break that voice out? Trey McBride, long seen as a consensus number one tight end of this class. For a while, I, I thought, maybe not a while, maybe a week, I thought it was reasonable to say, yeah, maybe Trey McBride at 31. And then it no longer seemed reasonable to me. It seemed like if he's probably going to be drafted in the middle of the second round somewhere. But Joe, you've you've watched a lot of tight ends lately. And the name's currently at the top of our list, and I know it's incomplete. Trey McBride, Charlie Kohler, Kolar, who I had a listener tweet at me about last night, upset that we didn't even mention him when we were going through <laughs> Mock Draft Monday yesterday. We were having some technical difficulties I'd yesterday. I'd love to talk about Charlie Kohler when we get there. Yeah, we could talk about Charlie. We could talk about Greg Dolchich, who mm-hmm. when Daniel Jeremiah mentioned that Dolchich was his tight end one was the the same moment that I realized, oh, maybe Trey McBride at 31 is is just insane. And it's turned out to look that way. James. And Dolchich has met with the Bengals. Mm-hmm. Um, McBride has. Um, I'm not sure about Collier. I, I, I think, said his name wrong. but I think Jelani Woods has too. Like they've mm-hmm. met with every big name. Isaiah, likely. Likely. Yeah, they met with Likely as well. And, They're going to um, pick one. Yeah. They, they, in Calcaterra. That's the other one. I was trying to think of the other one that, that's been confirmed. And they were at Ohio State's Pro Day, of course, for you Jeremy Ruckert fans out there. And to be fair, Nate Tice, I think, has Jeremy Ruckert as his tight end one. So there are uh, – Jeremy Ruckert seems to be a very divisive prospect to me. And you've got a pretty solid film grade on him, Joe. You've yeah. got a bunch of guys in the same bucket. You've yeah. got – it looks like McBride and Dolchich a step above and then five guys mm-hmm. that you all kind of see as like, yeah, you're kind of the same – the same level. When you look at this tight end class and you're the Cincinnati Bengals and you know what the team needs are and you've got your opinions on philosophizing when different guys should be picked and, and whatnot, where where do you think the sweet spot is for tight ends for the Bengals in this year's class? Yeah, that's probably the best way to, to question it because that's also what I'm internally debating as I'm going through these guys. At first, it's like, yeah, I, I was with you. I, I could see a pick at 31. Trey McBride, the worst case scenario, kind of how we um, you know, started talking about Travis Jones as McBride in that next bucket of guys. I think he, yeah, he could be. If he's gone by 45, then you have to consider him 
you know, before you get on the clock at 63, obviously. So and that's the thing, too. The Bengals are at the end of each round. Like, it still is not in my brain all the way. When I say, oh, second round, well, they don't – that you've got to pick that guy early if you want that guy then. Uh, so it, it, I'm – as I'm looking at it and I'm, and I'm getting these grades like a Trey McBride, want to give him an 80. It's like, yeah, I think he's going top 40 ish, 45. And then when I have Kohler and Dolchich and Cole Turner and Jeremy Ruckert as like my next bucket of guys, that's second, third round. And one of those guys may even be there at the top of the fourth, but the Bengals can't get that guy at the top, at, at the top of the fourth. That would be your pick in round three. So I do think that makes a lot of sense if they want to go that route, especially with these, these are most of the guys they've met with, uh, other than Calcaterra and Likely, who I think go much later based on their profiles. Uh, that's if you don't get your guy in the rounds two, round three, round four, your guy's not falling, and you're there in round five, six, seven, you still need to take a tight end. And I'm, I feel like they really do want one and want to take a guy that can you know, upgrade maybe from Drew Sample. There's not many blockers in this draft. So when guys, I still get the question all the time because it's you, you kind of watch tight ends very differently now than you did even five years ago. The only blocker is Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin. That's about it. And if you want him, he's fine, but he's probably like a fourth round pick. Uh, but I could see that happening too. I know you guys have discussed him at, at points. Um, but for me, I think McBride, since he's probably not going to be in that position at 31, if you get to Kohler or Dolchich in round two, I think Dolchich is the better athlete better mover better guy after the catch uh but Kohler man is six foot seven with long wingspan that can catch and has tremendous tremendous hands I think he's got the lowest drop percentage of all these guys uh he really was maybe the worst guy after the catch of everyone I watched which to me has very projecting values because I think tight end has kind of turned into a yak position in a lot of ways a lot think of a lot of CJ Zama's big plays last year were a lot of yak opportunities where he makes a guy miss and he extends that, which was already an explosive play, but turns it into six, right? The sneaky yak of CJ Uzama. Yeah. And that is when I watch tight ends around the league, it's like, that's kind of like an underrated spot for a lot of these guys. Where are they getting these extra hidden yardage unless they're just check down averaging six yards per catch? It's that it's the yak guys that really make the difference and turn it into 10 yards and, and plus. So, uh, I think if you mentioned Eifert. There's no Eifert. Someone asked me yesterday or the day before who would be an Eifert in this draft. And while I wouldn't compare any to Eifert, the guy that's closest and looks like him with the best ball skills, high-pointing ability, plays above the rim, is uh, is Cole Turner out of Nevada. And, like, is he a end-of-the-third-round pick? Yeah, I think he could be. And they, when you watch him, just go on YouTube, put in Cole Turner Nevada, and you'll – Five-minute highlight video is just, oh, my God, this guy's just dunking on everyone because they're just tossing it up to him. And that sounds fun. That sounds like you can do a lot of damage with that and, and add a guy to the rotation. So this all started off with what's the sweet spot. I'm not sure it's round two, but, man, because I think Dolchich is probably already gone at that spot or at least close. It'd probably be a really good value at 63 for Dolchich. But third round, I think, would probably be the maximum value. Two tight end questions for you. The first one, and I'm going to bring up Jelani Woods for those that are wondering, because, man, we get a lot of mentions about him. But who compares most to Hayden Hurst or who looks like Hayden Hurst? The Bengals really like Hurst. And I don't think – I think they believe he's going to have a big year and then go sign a, a deal elsewhere and that he's going to be productive with Burrow and much like C.J. Uzama, have a career year and go elsewhere. So I agree with you. I think they're going to prioritize Yak. I think they hate the fact that Sample hasn't developed as a pass catcher and fell on his ass one of the times when they designed a play for him. And they'll figure out the blocking part of things uh, down the line. So who projects to be that out of the guys you mentioned that could be almost, a, oh, my God, Hayden Hurst had 700 yards and five touchdowns, and then he signed a three-year deal with insert whatever team. 
in, in 2023 next off season, this guy can step up and kind of fill that, that role without really any hiccups. It's Greg Dolchich out of UCLA. He looks the most like him. He's an athletic mismatch. I think he's very crisp in his routes with pretty good hands. Uh, and he gives you the yak ability. I think that Hayners will also give them. And from an athletic standpoint, guys that just, you know, can turn in zones, make that catch and just slip off that linebacker for three extra yards. It's, it's huge. And I think Dolchich does a lot. There's one play, if I could show one of his, and I think it will be the first play shown if you're watching ESPN on draft night when he is drafted on day two, it's versus LSU. And he catches a, a corner route at about 18 yards, takes it 70 yards, makes guys miss, um, beats two guys within the 10-yard line to the goal line, falls over guys, stays up, and and scores his touchdown. It's just like, yeah, that looks like that's a lot of fun. Um, that's a guy that you, you can want. But do you want – he's not a blocker at all to me. I think he's 245 pounds. He's a little bit on the small side. Uh, and that's kind of why I think of Hayden Hurst because Hurst isn't going to do much of that, right? We're going to detach him from the line and let him be a receiver. I think Dolchich does that a lot. I think Charlie, Charlie Kohler is a guy that was detached a lot at Iowa State and is not going to be much of a blocker but has the size of a guy that could develop. I said to someone else that uh, blocking is more of a – developed in the NFL trait. So you really, what do you want from these guys? You want them to be strong. You want them to have the size to add bulk maybe and become better blockers. I think Kohler can do that. I think Cole Turner could do that. I think Jelani Woods could do that, but he's probably, Jelani Woods is probably the worst blocker of all these top guys. You wanted to get to him. Uh, we're talking about a guy who just transferred to Virginia this last year and he's six, seven, 260 something pounds. Uh, I think at one point he was listed at 275 when he transferred. I, I was reading cause I wanted to see what was happening with him. Um, uh, at Oklahoma State when he left, and he's on so, the Belt Bar diet. Jim. Yeah, big dude, and he looks like he looks like a power forward. I mean, the arms he could he could scratch his ankle standing straight up. So like it, this guy, you just put it up, and he's dunking on dudes all day. But he's clunky. He tested 100th percentile athlete. There's never been a more athletic tight end than Jelani Woods in terms of testing. Doesn't actually look like that on the field. Actually, he he's a bit roboticy, boxy. It's like Jermaine Gresham was a good athlete, but didn't always look like that. Oh God. Right? Oh God! And I was going to go with what the comparison even extends into the hands. Like Gresham was supposed to be this receiving tight end out of Oklahoma, but he wasn't a natural receiver. There's a lot of double clutches in Jelani Woods game. There's a lot of, do I go over this shoulder? Do I turn and face the ball when you should just let it fall over your shoulder and let, and just naturally let it come over. Uh, So he's a project in a lot of ways. He was actually at the East West shrine game. Wasn't, you know, so that's like the lower end of these guys where they normally drafted on like day three, and he looked clunky there too. He should have stood out like crazy. And yeah, so when I watched that, and this was just yesterday, I watched the East West Shrine game for him and a couple other guys. But uh, I just came away like, okay, I, I see why some people would probably be a little lower on Woods. It's also his production profile it brings him down just a little bit. He doesn't have the production of a Pro Bowl tight end. And he's twenty three and a half years old by the time he gets That's drafted. Real quick for the Ohio State folks. And for Nate Tice, Jeremy Rucker, you've got a pretty solid grade on as well. One of the younger tight ends of the class yeah. because it's an older tight end class. The guys that are younger than 23 are Trey McBride, Cole Turner, Isaiah Likely, Daniel Bellinger, Jeremy Rucker, James Mitchell, and Jalen Wertermeyer, who tested himself out of the draft probably. Mm-hmm. So with Jeremy Rucker, when you got a guy like Nate Tice, who I, I like Nate Tice's football analysis, thinks he's tight end one, where, where do you think that argument comes from? He's probably the most all-around guy. Uh, you know, he can. He has enough athletic ability. He's got enough size. He's young. He's he has blocked enough in that offense. Um, and they have, were so loaded with weapons that how do you 
become a highly productive player when you're option number four or five at some times. And you can see that when you watch him, you're just, you know, kind of waiting for him to get more targets. He never really settles into a rhythm at all when he does. Uh, So when I watch, I think, yeah, that's probably a late second, third round pick because he's got everything. His production profile really is going to sap his overall grade in our process because um, when you look at like the guys, the market share, it helps him and the, the strength of schedule that helps him. But just overall, he just did not produce. He would be an outlier in terms of production. Guys that produce that low have to be rare athletes at tight end. I'm talking about uh, guys like George Kittle and Dawson Knox, right? Rare athletes that didn't get a lot of production in their run first offense or because there was other guys around them that when you 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 don't have the testing with Rucker because he got hurt, uh, that kind of we talked about how how that knocks a guy. If I think it was like a 6% chance to draft a pro bowler on day two, if you draft a guy who does not test. Hmm. So do you take him there? Right. It, like we're now we're talking, he's got to surpass production. He's got to surpass um, his non-testing profile. I think you'd have to be more comfortable in rounds four five, maybe even six. I know the OSC fans are going to freak out every time I mention it, but it's just, he's They're coming for you. I can I feel it right now. I feel bad because I like him on tape. You can see the score, right, Jake? I like him. I like what he looks like, but his profile gets absolutely tanked completely. And PFF grades even hurt it even worse because we do incorporate that to try and balance what I what I think. Um, I think you, you probably can't touch him until the end of round fourth at most. And this is the same thing that hurt guys like Nick Bosa and Josh Jacobs and Jalen Waddle in the process we do. So it's not flawless. Sometimes right. guys stand out but really what i'm hearing from you joe is draft daniel bellinger late sometime and get a good athlete with upside who's young he's 21 and a half years old and and let's go let's see if he turns into something (laughs) that's what i'm hearing from you find a guy in the sixth round who's athletic and you can develop turn him into a ball of clay that's a tight end class to me joe the the biggest thing my closing remarks here and, and james is the 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 quality drop off on tape is is not huge after you get past the top couple of guys. And so when you say, you know, round two, round three, I'm thinking, I mean, if he's BPA, sure, but they're, they're meeting with all these tight ends, perhaps just to give themselves familiarity throughout the draft. So they can say, okay, finally, we're at a point where this tight end is our BPA in this deep ish, but not top heavy. Like there's no top end talent really in this tight end class. And that could kind of be, the approach of this position. Does that make sense from, from what you've seen? Yeah, I would agree with that thought process, right? You, why take a Charlie Kohler in the round three when you probably got Daniel Bellinger in the fifth round that has a very extremely similar profile and it's not like his tape is bad. It's just, you know, he's used a little bit less often. So you you don't feel as confident in that projection. Um, It's the exact opposite because we never got to this when you asked about rounds like two, three, four, five out of the depth of defensive tackle. It's the opposite where I feel like it's very top heavy. Um, once yeah. I get in the rounds two, it's like Perry on Winfrey. I've never seen him defend a run play in his life and he didn't do all the testing. So what's his potential to be a pro bowl player? Like that's scary to me. Um, he does no pass rush plan. He doesn't look like he's got a single move in his toolbox and he's like the best guy to pick from, or is it DeMarvin Leal who played defensive end mm-hmm. and wants to juke guys. And he's not that type of athlete. Like every move starts with him pitter padding back and forth. And then he wants to do something. And he's fine. He played every single he'll line up at the nine and then the one and on back to back plays. And he does he's all up and down the field. So he'll play for you. But how good of a player will he become? Um, I have much more questions about the defensive tackle class than I do tight end. So let's say this worst case scenario plays out 
and it is Travis Jones in the first, or you're lucky enough to still find a guy you like at 63. Yeah, keep keep kicking tight end down the road because I think the value will will still be there in rounds four, five, and six. Joe, way to call us out on Perry and Winfrey. I mean, j- just say you wanted Alec Pierce. No, it's okay because I, I, uh, I, I looking back, I probably did too, especially since we picked four straight defender defensive Look, players in our. Mind. I have no problem with drafting Perry and Winfrey in the second. I round. don't either. It's just a low chance. It's a roll of the dice because you don't have many other options afterwards. Maybe he's not a pro bowler, but maybe he's Larry Ogunjobi. He, I guess he reminds Larry Ogunjobi me, was a pro bowler, wasn't he? That's a bad example. Was he a pro bowler? When did he was he? I don't think he was. Was I he not? Okay. I think My you're bad. just crowning people. You're right, though. I don't know if you saw Andy it. Andy Dalton is a pro bowler. <laughs> this is, but, That's uh, my point. <laughs> his comparison would probably be Ogunjobi. Home run strikeout type that just is winning because he's got to burst off the line. And which, you know, that's good. Which is why I care less about Travis Jones, even if he's a better player. And I think I said this in DMs to Mike Santagata. I, I, all I care about out of a three tech or defensive interior player, the Bengals draft this year is I want a guy that has juice. Who's going to disrupt and create havoc because that's what I feel like this team needs. It's valuable. Yeah. We've gone long enough on defensive tackles, tight ends, and Linderbaum versus Carl Laftis. That's going to do it for today's episode of the lockdown Bengals podcast. Tomorrow we're joined by Mike Santagata and, Later this week, Brian Callahan joins the show. We'll catch up with him about free agency and about the draft. Big week here on Locked on Bengals. Until next time, thanks to Joe Goodberry for joining us. Thanks to you for listening. Hootay, and have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked on NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.